What's up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex, and there's nobody else here with me today. I mean, we have some guests who are coming up on the show, but Justin and Pete are both absent. Presumably, they're off in the woods hunting each other or something like that. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. But we are live a bunch of places with all of you anyway. We are live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Twitch. We're live on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it those days. Or maybe you're listening later, Spotify or Android or Apple or wherever you get podcasts. It's all good. Thank you. So much for coming out. Thanks for watching today. We appreciate it. Um, and I'm going to put up the questions thing early since it's just me. If you got some questions, help me out here. Throw some questions our way. But we have some great guests for you this evening that I'm very excited to chat with. And I want to bring in the first one into the stream right now. He is the creator of Tower from a Wave Blue World, which is being collected into a trade edition that's coming out tomorrow. So we are on the eve. We are on the cusp of it. Cameras, welcome to the show. Hey, my man. Thanks for having me. Happy oh, my gosh. Here. I'm so excited to chat about this. We love this book. We read the first, uh, well, every issue, but from the first couple of issues, we're really enamored with oh, awesome. the mashup of concepts here. Um, one of the things that I really love about this, and just to kind of like lay it out a little bit, and then I'd love to kick it over to you for the pitch, is I think in the absolute best way, it takes a bunch of different things from a bunch of different genres and jabs them together. You got a little bit of The Hunger Games. You got a little bit of Tron. You got yep. a little bit of one of my favorite horror movies, Cube, in there as well. Oh, a little yeah, bit. yeah. I get, I've heard um, of and, <laughs> and a bunch of other things. Uh, what was the inspiration here and what was the initial pitch? How'd you get hooked up with this comic? To be honest, I mean, I just, I love video games. I feel like video games uh, inspired me to be a creative, uh, both an actor and a filmmaker. Uh, there's something about just sort of becoming someone else in that world, making choices, saving the day that I really loved. And I wanted to sort of dive into the psyche of it. Of if, you know, if a bunch of people woke up in a video game, what would that actually look like? I don't want to get too graphic with it, but I wanted to sort of dive into the humanness of it, of well, would they turn on each other? Would they team up? If they were allowed to team up, would they go for that? Or would they just stick to themselves? Would they team up with other people and then turn on, on one another? Um, and then I also play so many different types of games. So I wanted to sort of mix all of these different inspirations. So the idea of the animal assistance came very early because that's something that took me back to like Digimon and Pokemon mm -hmm. days uh, back when I was younger. But I also like shooting games and fighting games. So I wanted to see what it would feel like if they could all sort of mix together in this very almost grounded sci-fi looking world. So it's both fun, but also action packed, but also dramatic, but also funny. Um, yeah, so I had a lot of inspirations that turned into one crazy concept. <laughs> well, I was going to say that's a lot of things to tackle at the same time. Obviously, you yeah. do have a lot of characters. You have a huge cast going on, but also you got to create a game that works in some yeah. sense. So how did you tackle that aspect of it? I just thought about when I got the, the title for the project Tower, I was like, OK, so if everyone went to work to, were to wake up on the ground level and it were to work like a video game, mm -hmm. the, oh, look at that. That's the cover. Hey, <laughs> the, the further up the tower you go, I would assume the harder it gets. Right. But since everyone is sort of new to this game, no one knows how they got in this game, no one knows if it's real. I didn't want it to be too confusing. So it's more so of if you kill enough people, you level up, you get stronger, your, your weapons get stronger, your health gets longer. And the higher up that you go, the high, the better the weapons get. And if you actually reach the top of the tower, this is very special, trippy, weird room um, where things are even harder because the things are moving, like the walls are moving and, and more treasure chests are appearing. So I was trying to keep it fairly simple with the linear journey of the high you get, the harder it gets, but the better it gets. Mm -hmm. And of course, if we were to continue with Tower 2 and 3, the rules would adapt and change and grow now that you know the basics of the game. One of the basics of the game that I really liked a lot was keeping track of everybody's hit points in there, yeah, that, yeah. which was, <laughs> I mean, given that like we're not watching actors or anything like that, we're seeing people on a still page and obviously yeah. the artists do a great job of depicting it, but it really gives you a sense of how much everybody needs to panic, how much damage they're dealing with at the time. Yeah. Where did that concept come from? Man, thanks for bringing that up because that was so hard to write. I was just, you know, I would like <laughs> write something in the first draft and be like, okay, he should lose like, he should lose three health points right here. And then I move on and be like, three is not enough. It should be 17 health points. <laughs> but how many does he have left? So I was constantly trying to do math and figure out what made the most sense. But it was for the exact reason. It was to keep track of how much danger they're in. 
um, how close to death that they are and how well they're all doing. But it was interesting because certain scenes and certain issues, I had to make sure I knew who was on which level, who, and who had how much HP the, the, the moment before. And also there's all these things that I couldn't explain in the, in the comic where if you're fighting with only melee weapons and no guns, you have a little bit more health because it gives you a little bit more of a chance. So when Max starts with his gloves, Kimmy starts with her knife, you know, the gloves will give you a, a couple pieces more of your HP because it's harder to kill people with gloves, you know what I mean? Or brass knuckles, rather. And then the knife, you don't get that extra thing because it's a lot easier to kill. So all these little things, I thought it would be nice for the video gamers that would kind of get it, but also for the folks that don't really get video games, they would at least know uh, what's happening as they read. I love the amount of thought that you put into that, and it clearly comes through in the comic book. <laughs> Let's turn to the characters, though. What was important in terms of the mix here? Because, again, you have a lot of them without getting too much into spoilers. There's people in the game. There's people in the real world. You have bad guys. You have good guys. But just looking at the cover here, you have a couple of main characters you're focusing on. So I, I assume you started with that and kind of worked outwards. Absolutely, yeah. So I started with my main three, uh, Cass, Kimmy, and Mac. Um, Mac is cam backwards. I didn't try very hard. <laughs> he looks a little bit like me, you know, but I wanted to have a uh, one male and two, two women. Um, I wanted to feel, I wanted them to feel equal. I wanted them to sort of have that trust, but also sort of hate each other, but also sort of love each other. So with that, seeing the differences between these main three characters, I wanted them to all be different races. So I went with Latinx, black and Asian. And I don't remember who came to mind first. I think Cass came to mind first because she's like the lead of the series, really. Um, and then I had Mac and Kimmy come afterwards. And as far as all the other characters, I was trying to find like all these little pieces that I could add. I wanted like, you know, your stereotypical, you know, black brawler, which is kind of what Mac is. And, you know, Kimmy is kind of that almost stereotypical, like Asian, almost like too good of a fighter vibe. Mm -hmm. But I was... I was taking those stereotypes and building on them. Like I wanted to have that sort of like, oh, Jack's from Mortal Kombat vibe, but make him more grounded, make him feel like a real person. Like he's not actually a boxer. He's had boxing classes. He just, that's just how he fights because that's what he's seen growing up. And as far as all this, the smaller characters, I just wanted to feel the whole so that when you're reading it, it does feel like anybody could be in this game. But at the same time, there is this sort of selection. So if you not to give any spoilers like you said, but in issue number two, Team Yellow is very similar to our main team. If you really looked at them, they're a very similar team. They're also a black person, an Asian person, and a Latinx person. Just to show that this team of three and this team of three are similar, but one's a lot better than the other one. <laughs> you know, but but maybe that doesn't help in this game. Maybe it doesn't matter how good you are. So I was trying to find again, not to not to overcomplicate overcomplicate the answer, but I was trying to find ways to make it seemed like I was having this very large amount of people in this game. So it mm -hmm. felt like it could be anybody. Mm. Uh, well, as you said, though, you did cast yourself in it. Uh, <laughs> what, what was that decision like? And, and how does that affect it when you're writing a character that, mind you, seems, I mean, we've just met, but like seems co totally different than you. But at the same time, like you are putting a little bit of yourself in there at the same time. I think, to be honest, it just makes it a little easier for me. I mean, there's so many people I wanted to keep track of. Um, one thing I didn't get to with your last question was explaining the people behind the game, the people in the real world, um, trying to sort of let everyone a little bit in on the on the joke, but, but I don't want you to be too involved in what's going on here. Because when you're reading Tower One, I want the reader to be just as confused as the people in the game. Mm -hmm. So as they're figuring out what's going on, I want the reader to figure out what's going on. And the only way to do that is to slowly introduce little characters and be like, I think they're involved, but I don't know yet. And as you read it all uh, unravels. Um, but as far as keeping track of the characters, it was just easier for us to at least make two of the characters based on me and my co-writer, uh, Kelsey Barnhart. Mm -hmm. So Kane is kind of like Kelsey and Mac is kind of like me. Um, but it's like the comic book version of me, right? So, of course, as an actor, part of me was like, it'd be so great to play Mac one day. But the grand, the real reason for it was because it was just like Mac feels like another version of me, an angrier, more immature, uh, more silly version. So it was very easy to write for him. And then for Kane, Kelsey was like, I got it. And, and they would just take <laughs> care of Kane because Kelsey is a lot. He plays the, the dungeon master in a lot of D&D &D games. So he loves like being the meticulous sort of like evil villain brain mastermind. 
Um, so that's kind of where the idea of those two specific characters came from. As far as the art style, um, our artist Cross specifically, who did issues one through three, he would take a lot of images of random people, sometimes famous, sometimes friends of mine, and kind of mix them together. And then that's how he created a lot of people's faces in the, in the comic book. Oh, I love that. Uh, this is a semi-related question we have here from YouTube from Jordan Runway 91. So are we getting an animation show since hey. you do both animation comic writer, just to name a few? That's a great question, my friend. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm not sure yet. You know, animation has been very much uh, what people have been asking me to do right now. I am directing um, an animated feature right now. I can't say who or what it's about quite yet, but animation is very much where my wheelhouse at the moment, besides my indie films that I'm also working on. So I would love to turn this into something. I mean, I wanted to respect the world of comics first. I know that a lot of people hate when like you make a comic just to adapt it into something. And this is my third or fourth comic book, but my, but my first original, my first creator owned. So I wanted to just look at it and think about it as a comic book. Now that the trade book is coming out tomorrow, please get it in stores tomorrow. Um, I can now open my mind to the future of the comic series. And I actually don't know if I want it to be live action or animation. I think with animation, I have a lot more freedom. I think with live action, it'd be a lot more expensive probably. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's a world for both. Um, it would just take me sitting down with my team and trying to figure out what happens next. Um, but if more people want this to be animation, please let me know. Yeah, I will say just on the note of you saying like you wanted to do comics first, that definitely comes through. I think you know, we read a lot of comic books and we read a lot yeah. of stuff from people with celebrity uh, behind it. And you you see somebody who kind of looks like the person on the cover, you're like, oh boy, here we go. But, <laughs> but this one definitely, it, like it works like a comic. It feels like a comic. It rolls like a comic. So you hit it just the right way. So awesome. very happy I really appreciate that. that. Thank you. And I'm, on that note, I actually wanted to take a step back because like you said, you have done a bunch of comics i think was the first one you did the batwing story for dc or did you done something it was. before that okay it was yeah so i was gonna make a uh, a cyborg graphic novel with dc um and we were really like gung-ho to go for like i really thought we were gonna make it but then things happened and we couldn't get to it anymore so we were like what can we make in the meantime and we ended up making the batwing comic first which was my I think, I mean, I think I had already written Tower at the time because I wrote it so many years ago, but Batwing was the first um, thing I published. And then funny enough, completely unrelated, a different part of DC didn't even know I was writing the Batwing comic. And they asked me to write um, a nonfiction comic for their Black Lives Matter 2022. Um, dang, I can't remember what it was called now. Um, ah, I can't think of it. Oh, oh, represent DC's DC. DC oh, represent. That's right. Yes. So what was so funny is I thought they asked me to write that because of Batwing, but they didn't even know that the other asked. I kind of wrote them both at the same time. And then after those two came out, I wrote like a five page issue uh, for like a Batwoman like issue thing later on. But yeah, those are my three DC comics. Well, so if you wrote Tower first and then you did these other things for DC, what was it like mm -hmm. coming back to the script after that? Were there things where you're like, oh, I made some terrible errors here and I got to oh, fix them? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> I wrote Tower. I mean, the original idea came, I'm going to say, 10 years ago. Then I probably, I think me and Kelsey probably wrote it seven years ago, six, seven years ago. Pitched it around town. Didn't really work because we didn't know what we were doing. And then I ended up meeting Joe Illage, who was the, the first black uh, editor of the, of the Batman comics back in 2019. He came in and was just like, fix all of this, you know? And it, we knew that it needed fixing because we were so new and young when we first made this comic book. And I had already gotten to screenwriting and I, I knew more about story and characters that when I finally came back to Tower, we basically did a, a complete re, like overhaul. Because Tower was originally, Tower 1 at least, was seven issues. So we compiled it into five, which made it so much better because as you read, there's so much that happens in those five issues. And that's because we took that story and we squeezed it together and we trimmed all the fat that we didn't need. Um, so yeah, it took like a lot of rethinking, but I think for the best. Yeah. Uh, and you've been going around to Comic-Cons and touring around with Tower as well. What that, what's that experience been like? Only a little bit so uh, so okay. far. I did a couple of comic cons with Batwoman. Um, for Tower, I don't think I've actually. I mean, I did like a, a comic book signing at a, a comic oh, book that's store right. here, okay. 
but I haven't done any cons with it yet, mainly because I've been more into, in my filmmaking and acting world, but I would love to take it around. I, I know it's like an indie comic, so I didn't know how far the reach has been so far. Um, I've been getting some really lovely feedback, which has been great. And I'll basically go to whatever comic con enough people want me to go to, because I do love the project. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I was sort of getting towards, and I don't know how much you can talk about this with the ongoing strike, but just the difference between going to a Comic-Con with Batwoman, where presumably you have like a Ballroom 20 or a Hall H panel or something like that, versus being on that other side, being a comic book creator, what that difference is like for you. Yeah, we were going to do the comic book, uh, not comic book, we were going to do Comic-Con 4 Tower a couple of years back, but it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed because of, you know, comic books can take forever to get made. So we haven't yet had our booth at a Comic-Con for the comic yet. I'm saying comic a lot, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but me and Kelsey are basically itching at the bit to go to a Comic-Con with this project because you see how passionate about it I am here. We just want to talk about it all day to anyone that wants to listen. Um, so we haven't done it yet, but we're waiting on it. We'd love to. Yeah. And we are on the eve of the release of the trade. Like we've been talking about, do you have any plans for tomorrow? Are you going to sneak into a bunch of stores and check it out? Do you have a signing? <laughs> what are you looking forward to doing? Nothing yet. We were talking about potentially doing a signing in New York, um, sometime this week. We haven't heard anything from away blue world quite yet, so we might still do it. Um, but I'm not sure. So if anything comes up, I'll definitely post about it and let everybody know. All right. And anything else people should be checking out from you? Checking out? I mean, right now, no. Since we were been on strike, I've been just chilling with my mental health, you know? Yeah. Um, I can't really talk about the things I have coming out because of strike. Um, so ask me again in hopefully a week. <laughs> I, hopefully this ends pretty soon. Um, but I am working on some indie films right now of my own, which I guess I can talk about because they're my own projects. I just won't get into detail, but I have a feature script that I finished writing. And I'm going to start taking that out to some people this week that I'm very excited about. And I'm writing my third feature right now, which I'm also very excited about. And me and Kelsey just decided to start developing an animated series together, uh, talking mm -hmm. about animation again, that we're very, very hyped about. And it's another project I've had in my mind for like 10 years. So Awesome. And the end of the book leaves it very open for a tower two to the point that you're teasing that. Is that actually in the works or is it more dependent on, let's see how well the trade does and we'll go forward from there? I'd say that. I think it okay. depends. I think for all the comic creators out there, we know that it, it's, it takes a long time to make these things. And although I love this and I have such a good time making it, if I were to make a tower two, I think enough people would have to ask me to do it. Um, if I know that people want it enough, then I would love to make it. But I would also want to make sure that like I can make it I can get it done in a, in a reasonable time because I don't want it to take many, many, many years to get to it. Because funny enough, the original idea was that Tower was a trilogy mm -hmm. and Tower three is the best of the three, in my opinion. <laughs> it gets real crazy in it. Um, so if people want to get to Tower three, they got to convince me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I'll be picking it up. Cameras, congratulations. Love the book. Fingers crossed we get Tower 2. Thank you so much, my man. Appreciate All it. Right. All right. Have a great night. You too. All right. There we go. Once again, that was Cameras Johnson. The book is called Tower. It's from a Wave Blue World, and it is coming out in stores everywhere tomorrow, October 4th. Or if you're listening to this later, it's already in stores. Go get it. It rocks. It's so good. Uh, super fun. Um, it looks like Richard is not here. Oh, there's Richard. He's there. Uh, we're actually going to bring in our next two guests together. Normally, we bring in the guests one at a time. But uh, in this case, we have some complimentary subject matter. Or at least I thought we maybe we could have an interesting discussion about it. So we are going to bring in the creator of Heart Eater from Laguna Studios, returning guests, uh, oh, too many windows open and just me doing it. So I can't, uh, delay, uh, Lori Foster. Welcome. <laughs> Hello. And also from Zoop's currently launched project coven, a book of a hundred witches, Richard Pace, Richard, welcome as well. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Excited to have you here. Uh, excited to have you both here. So two very different projects. I want to say that, but at the same time, <laughs> They're both crowdfunded projects. Lori, your project is on Kickstarter. I'm going to open up the window so I get the number correct, but you have done a bunch of Kickstarter projects. Your goal for this one for Heart Eater was $6,000. You're currently at over $16,000 with six days to go. So super successful. And then Richard, your book on Zoop, Coven, 
just launched today had a five thousand dollar goal and it's already over eight thousand eight hundred dollars yeah uh, so great job, both of you. Thanks for coming to the show. That's all I needed to say. I think we're good. Okay. Here. Oh, uh, I got <laughs> no, so we have two crowdfunding projects, but the other thing about them is, uh, Lori, your project Heart Eater is a 18 plus sexy pirate book. Uh, and Richard, your book is a, a very much 18 plus collection of pictures of witches that you drew over a couple of years that yeah. are also for adults. So the thing that I was curious to get from both of you before we get into the specifics about any of the books is what is the market like for adult comics? How has it changed from, say, when you first started in comics until now? Uh, Laurie, maybe I'll go to you first. Um, <laughs> uh, it seems like a really popular thing currently. It seems uh, the market's really, really good. Um, uh yeah it's kind of well you know i think it's been kind of since the pandemic i think maybe everybody got just really depressed and they were like we need we need some, <laughs> some boobies we need some sexy stuff we need to distract ourselves from all this shit going on <laughs> um i think that's definitely uh that definitely had, had an effect on it <laughs> uh richard what about you what's your take on it well uh, i'm i'm a little bit older um, so my, my memory of erotic comics goes back into the 80s. Um, and there wasn't really much of a boom. There was like indie underground comics that were um, mildly transgressive to way over the top transgressive, like books like Faust, which may not exist in memory anymore. Um, I, think, I think the first big peak of adult comics as a market was, was pretty much launched by my buddy Howard Chaikin when he did Black Kiss uh, through Vortex. And uh, I think that proved that there was real money. Oh, yeah. We should probably mention Richard has some sort of weird construction happening outside. It's fine. Yeah, you're, you're yeah good. it's, it's you're a little good. uncomfortable. Trying <laughs> if to the shells start to shake, then we'll worry about yes. it. Yes, yeah, then you got to run. Comics, it's the building. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and then uh, if, if, if you remember, Fantagraphics immediately came out with their Eros imprint. I think it was called Arrows, where there was just nothing but porn comics. Um, and I think that was like the early, early movement of the industry to to break away from just being completely dominated by superheroes and fantasy. Hmm. Um, I, I think I think the state what we have now, decades later, is we see that superheroes are less and less important to the overall industry. And we have an older readership that wants content for them. They don't want a grown-up Superman. They want people fucking. So, I mean, um, I, I, there's an Alan Moore quote where it's like uh, everyone's everyone's life's a story of all genres. I mean, there's a little bit of crime. There's a little bit of romance. And if you're lucky, there's a little bit of porn in there. Um, and I think, I think the people doing stuff for adults are adults creating stuff that they want. I would, I would assume that the comic you're creating is the comic you wanted to see on the shelf and no one else put it there yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, before we get to the specifics again, I just have one more follow-up about this because you're both crowdfunding at the same time. And obviously to jump to the end of the question, they're successful, they're fully funded, they're out there. But at the same time, I think people think of pornography as something like, it's a dirty thing. It's in the back. You don't talk about it. But this is people clearly putting their money up, putting their names on something out there. So what changed in terms of that? Is it just that, like we're talking about, things have become more accepted? Or is there some other aspect there? I mean, <laughs> just by virtue yeah. of the Internet, I feel like... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've become more accustomed to seeing pornography and people are becoming more open to that concept. And, and I mean, even just nudity has been <laughs> a struggle. I mean, it's still a struggle on social media platforms. If you show nipples. Instagram has been censoring me on my drawings that even don't show nudity. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, let's talk about that then to jump specifically into the projects, Richard, just because you mentioned it. I want to bring up the safer work version of this uh, first this is the cover of the book. I keep yeah. wanting to say Coven, like yeah, the American movie, Coven. Uh, well, that's weird how to say it wrong. <laughs> uh, but this is Coven, a book of 100 witches, and it's a collection of... 62 daily drawings from Witchtober 2022 and 2023, as yep. well as 38 weekly Witchy Wednesday drawings. And to be clear, they're all, I think, the same witch, and they're all fully... No, they're not. They're different witches. They're black and white drawings. So okay. I mean... Um, <laughs> Sorry. Well, no. I mean, you don't draw that many witches and think they're the same witch. Um, and I'm I'm a, I'm a realist, so I'm drawing different body types. Okay. And in, unless you know what you're looking for, you may not notice that. Um, I mean, uh, yesterday I posted a drawing of uh, a witch with a bunch of cats, and I gave her uh, essentially Philippine features. Mm -hmm. uh, but since you don't see her eyes, it's just her nose and, and the head structure. I mean, no one's going to see that, and they're black and white drawings, so there's no skin color. Mm. Um, but it's like I've drawn black witches, Hispanic, uh, indigenous, white, and, and it's in my own head. And it doesn't really matter to the audience that I'm doing, but it only matters to me, which is, I think, good enough. Well, why this project then? What drew you in particular to draw these witches in this way? Well, um, I, d I decided last year uh, in, in the shadow of COVID, I wanted to do something fun other than just... I just did a massive project for like raise money for food bank. I wanted to do something completely selfish for me. And, um, and it was, it was October and I wanted to draw a witch. And I, I had a memory going back to an adult magazine playboy back in the seventies and eighties. And an artist named Leroy Neiman used to draw these little cartoony women in it called Femlins. And they had, you know, black silk opera gloves and, and silk stockings, thigh high stockings. And they were just cute little drawings. And I said, well, I can, I can do my version of that, but as a witch. And um, I thought in my I posted the first one, I said, oh, you know, I'll probably only do a couple this month, get it out of my system, and I'll be it. And they got way too popular. And by the 10th day of my enjoying drawing one of these witches, I went, I'm, I'm doing the month. And it just snowballed from there. Uh, Lori, let me bring up your project just so we can introduce that properly. So this is, as we mentioned, oops, I, gotta, I know how this works. Can I actually ask Richard a question real quick? Yes, freeform, okay. go for it. Um, so I'm curious why you launched on Zoop instead of Kickstarter, because Kickstarter is currently doing Witchstarter, and your project would have been perfect for the apps. Well, um, the, the main reason, the Zoop people have wanted to work with me uh, for a couple of years now. Okay. And mm -hmm. I had a bunch of friends who did books with them and they were very happy with it. And yeah. I think the bottom line is the logistics of fulfilling a project like this are beyond me. I'm great at the drawing table. Um, give me other stuff. I mean, it's like, um, I just, just today I stumbled across a drawing. I meant to mail it last week. And mm -hmm. I, like, I, I, I finished it, scanned it, sent it, sent it to uh, scan to the commissioner. So, oh yeah, I'll get it out by Friday. And I just stumbled across it, completely forgot about it. So the idea of, of fulfilling a project this big is I know myself. Yeah. Get the professionals to do it. So that's that's ah. why I do. Yeah. I didn't it, realize Zoop fulfilled stuff for people. It's that an option. Cool. It's an option. You can, oh, okay. you can do it straight Kickstarter method. Um, this way, um, they designed the page. They did a um, they did some great groundwork in terms of like a profit and loss. Like they pre-budgeted out everything, so we knew the cost going. I wouldn't have thought to do it. I would have got, well, what do I, what do I want to raise? Like seven, $8,000 maybe? And then you know, finish it and go, oh, geez, that's nowhere near enough. Um, so they're, they're, they're literally holding my hand through the process so I can just be the artist and creator of this project. And, and they can do all the stuff that they do. And yeah, they're taking a big chunk, but they're earning it to my mind. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, well, on the other hand, you have this Kickstarter project, Lori, and you have had multiple <laughs> successful Kickstarters. This is called Heart Eater. I think this is one of the variant Ooh. covers, um, but it was the one that I could grab uh, to show it off. So this is a tale about a pirate. Her name is, or her nickname, I assume not probably her birth name, is Heart Eater. And she 
saves a guy from the gallows and ultimately some sexy adventures ensue. Is that the simplest way of putting it? I assume there's more to it than that. Yeah, no, that's a good way okay. of putting it. I mean, I it's uh, it, it has some Pirates of the Caribbean vibe, so it's a little silly. You know, she's looking for a ship. Currently, she doesn't have one, so she's kind of stranded. Um, I also, it's, it's, it has kind of like Dungeons and Dragons vibe. So there's a fantasy vibe, there's a magic vibe and the pirate vibe. And of course, sex. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this because we, we've talked about your books before on the show, but Laguna Studios, who you're producing this for with as a head of, um, is majority, if not all female on the staff. How does that affect how you're approaching sex and pornography in comic books? Yeah, so that's been that's been actually really fun and interesting to work on because there's there's tons of you know erotic books uh, on Kickstarter. Uh, most of them are written by men and illustrated by men and so forth, which is great. Um, but uh, there's a couple of actually like <laughs> there's some erotic web comics that I like and I know some female friends of mine like. Um, and we wanted to make something that women would also enjoy. And there's, it, it, it's not a huge change, I don't feel, to, to make erotica that women also enjoy. It's just, there, it's like a fine balance of like not making shit too corny and not making shit like so, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a good word for it, like just so... I don't know. There are, I guess, I'm trying to think of a delicate way to put it. Um, don't be delicate. You don't have to be <laughs> yeah, delicate. Go for like, it. <laughs> I guess to include a romance aspect into the erotica without making it corny or weird. Um, so you, ha- you, you actually have a story, you have an adventure, and you have sex, but it's not but it also appeals to women. I can't think of a good way to put this, and I should probably come up with one. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you a follow-up there, just in terms of the art. We're Obviously, we're looking at one of the covers, not the interior pages here, but the entire comic book industry has been trained by men. Uh, full disclosure, I am also a man. But uh, been trained by men to draw women in comic books in a certain way. Are you having people approach the art and approach the way that you draw the women and draw the sex differently in this book because it is a majority female staff. Yeah. I mean, just I, without any direction, I have found that both uh, the artist and the colorist have approached things completely differently. Um, just in the way the scenes are, the scenes flow um, and the way that the sex is drawn is just, I, I don't really know a way to put it. It's like slightly more romantic and slightly less crude. Not that there's anything wrong with crudeness. It's just... Well, but it's... uh, I mean, I assume we'd probably refer to it in comic books the same way, but like when you're talking about movies and TV, it's the female gaze, and it does... There's there's a palpable difference, I think, when you see a female director filming a sex scene versus when you see a male director filming a sex scene. Like, you can feel it when you're watching it. Right, exactly. And it's like an intangible thing that I can't really explain, but it's it having that has been really cool because like making it it's it's been a really fun experience. It's been different from what I expected, but they tend to know already know what I want. So I think we all have a similar just vision for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I would I would think I think the main difference from um uh, someone who has consumed some porn in the past. Um as I think everyone has, but some people are just afraid to admit it. I, I think male-directed porn is largely aimed at towards a a completing event and a quick the, payoff. There we go. And I think most of the women-derived erotic, regardless of the subject matter, either like hardcore, softcore, um, any any of the range of fetishes the female driven uh, erotica i've seen has a lot more been about creating a mood and an environment that is sensual and sexual whereas a lot of the male driven stuff is largely about setup finish that's and, a good way of putting it yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. 
Um, I did want to get back and talk about the social media posting a little bit because I know both of you sort of rolled your eyes and pulled out your hair a little bit when you were talking about that. Richard, okay. you <laughs> you put up your stuff on Instagram and it still lives on Instagram. What what are the challenges there specifically when you're trying to do a crowdfunding and well, trying to push it on social media at the same time? Yeah, it was last last October went fine. There was no issues at all. In fact, it, it became wildly popular. Um, and I, I'd run afoul of Instagram in the past. I did a drawing that kind of became famous of Catwoman riding Batman's face uh, while I had a full-on erection and she was waving around a tail with a butt plug on it. Um, and it was, that was also wildly popular, but Instagram said, no, that's going too far. Um, so I knew that just tasteful artistic nudity, I think, is what you could define what my witches are. And... Um, Starting in January this year, they really started censoring stuff. And this was around the same time when uh, you may have saw it in the news where Instagram was had to meet with some people to and they were told to lighten up under censorship, especially around breasts. And they said, oh, we're going to do this in March of that of this year. And nothing came out of it. They ignored it. And so one of my one of my friends in the tech industry tells me. It was because Instagram was going to be bound up with threads mm. and they didn't want to risk anything screwing up Instagram threads or Facebook in terms of nudity or adult content. So what one, one voice said, Oh, we're going to, we're going to be more open, more, more accepting. And the other voice saying, no, just, just unleash the algorithm and shut everything down. Mm. So that's my experience of it. So I've actually had to, uh, I, I've gotten cute about it. I use a little upside down pentagram which is a running symbol of my witch drawings. And I just censor out anything I think might set off the algorithms. And I, I run a $1 a month Patreon, as cheap as I can make it, and everything gets posted uns uncensored there. So the people who really want to see the nipples or the pubic hair, that's where you go. <laughs> uh, Laurie, what about you? I mean, obviously you're hitting it a little bit of a different way because you have on the Kickstarter, at least as I've seen it, you have the nice version of the naughty version. The naughty version is censored at least on the covers that you put up there but have there been any challenges for you in terms of trying to sell this online um i mean i'd rather not have to put censors over it because i think a lot of people uh even like instinctively when they look at it they're like wait why is she wearing clothes what is that over her boobs like they're briefly confused and it kind of makes things harder that way um I have managed to post a few topless covers on Instagram without getting dinged, but I'm very nervous about doing it. <laughs> I don't. Um, even on Kickstarter, like, I spoke to uh, Oriana, and she said, technically, you can put uncensored art on your Kickstarter, but, like, you might not get featured if it's there. Hmm. So, but why? <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, America, you Puritanism. Find, you, have find, you have to find alternative means to show the people what you're ostensibly selling. I mean, I didn't start this as a sell project. It just became popular. So I went, hey, artists, you don't get wins that easily very often. So I need to lean into it. But you, I mean, um, the people engaging with my posts have dropped off since I've had the sense of them. So I know what mm -hmm. the, the people want to see them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and social media, which is, it's it's weirdly, it's almost like a, a, a cancer. And and I think the more we've been dealing with social media, the more we realize it's a cancer. But it's also in a weird way where it, it started in, in sort of a symbiotic relationship with the creators, saying like, here's the platform, use our platform, we'll work together and grow things. And now that they're big enough, they're like, you know what, you're an inconvenience to us. We've outgrown you, so we're going to devour what's good for us and and discard everything else that built us. Hmm. Think about all the erotic, like when I first went on Instagram, like what, seven, eight years ago? Uh, erotic work from photographers, not hardcore explicit at all, but erotic work from photographers was huge. Models could post their work. It's all gone. And mm -hmm. But weirdly, then there's like this weird plethora of OnlyFans advertising, which is... And, and not, and this isn't any sort of like puritanical rant against the OnlyFans. I got friends who do OnlyFans, but 
they get to do some incredibly extreme stuff but because it's almost all video they get a pass it seems hmm. and it's weird and but they're because they're doing videos and instagram wants more video they want that video engagement you almost feel that they're like turning down the heat on that type of content and it's like well i, I do 2d stuff i don't do video what you got to do is do one of those gifts, one of those moving gifts. It's like a video. They won't pick up mm-hmm. on it. It'll do great. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. I guess uh, it's frustrating too because, like, you can, like, you know, kids are watching Rambo when they're like eight, but like boobies. You know. <laughs> That's a very like, American thing. That's a very American right. thing. Right. I mean, um, I'm in Canada, so it's a little less American here, but we, we still have that same kind of freak of Puritanism running through North America. Uh, in Europe, it's different. I mean, they're more abhorrent towards violence than sex. And mm-hmm. I agree with that more. I, 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 the weird way where sex is worse than violence tells you exactly why there's a gun control problem in the US. But you know, if you happen to be not perfectly straight, you're gonna go to prison in some states. I mean, that, that's what it gets you. I, th- I think we need more sex positivity across the board. We need to lighten up and let people live their lives as long well as they're not hurting people. And I think a big part of that is every, every, everyone in some way, even agendered people, are somewhat defined by their sexuality. Agender being like the lack thereof uh, in, in an engaging way, the traditional understood way. But we're culturally trying to kill it. That's not healthy. Uh, I think it's interesting that you mentioned sex positivity because I think that's something running through both of these projects. Richard, for you with the art, Laurie, for you with the art and the story, like we've been talking about as well. Um, I am curious, though, do you think some aspect of the success of both of these projects is, though there's more going on, the base simplicity of the pitch? Like, Richard, you could explain it as witches, but sexy. And Laurie, you could be like pirates, but sexy. Do you need to boil it down that way? I assume that helps a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> yes. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna skirt around that. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think. I mean, I could have put just. I could have just had the sexy covers and put whatever the hell I wanted in there, and it probably would sell pretty well. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of hoping that you know people buy it and they're like, oh, this is actually like this is fun to read. This is actually a good story. The art's actually really nice. The interior art's really nice because. Sometimes with erotic comics on Kickstarter, the covers are where the money goes and the interiors are not. <laughs> and you get a little surprise when you open the book. Um, I don't want to have that. Uh, the interior art is going to be like sick. The quality is going to be really cool. The coloring is going to be beautiful. Um, yeah, and I want that surprise and that like, oh, and women should read it and they'll like it too. And men will read it and they'll be like, this is actually really fun. And I'd read more of this. And there's sex in it. That's really cool. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, I I found I uh, it used to be before the witches, um, I had overwhelmingly a male audience. It was like ninety percent male on Instagram uh, with the witches because I'm drawing real bodies and they're all happy. And I mean, honestly, it's like some of some of my drawings are equivalent of like, oh, they're watching their dishes, but they're a sexy naked witch. I mean, I mean, in terms of like what I'm doing, I'm just showing these women have living their best lives are happy and um and they're not necessarily performing for anyone they're just living these lives and um i've seen like i think like an eight percent jump in in share of my audience and women because Mm. of that I, Uh, i have to think that's a good thing i mean it seems like not to be like too over the top about this but based on what you're saying richard it feels like not just doing this project but sticking with this project so long is a little bit of an act of rebellion against all of the things that you're talking about pushing back against the puritanical nature and just being like nope i'm gonna keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this yeah it, it, it i think i think um i'm an asshole uh <laughs> just being fucked with by instagram just made me double down more that i'm gonna make this successful and somehow mm-hmm. Um, if, if the book does really well enough, I already have an outline graphic novel to do as a follow-up with these witches. And the idea is, is like, I'm just going to keep doing, uh, erotica that I enjoy that my audience enjoys as well. 
uh, in spite of what people in suits and ties and MBAs want to keep off the internet. Uh, Lori, I had a question for you specifically about one of the uh, le levels, one of the tiers of your Kickstarter. So you have a bunch of the things that you'd expect, like we talked about. You can get some naughty covers, you can get some nice covers, you can get a digital version, a physical version. Um, there is one where you could be drawn into a background scene. And then there's one level where two people, and this is sold out right now, you're, you're drawn into a sex scene in the book. Uh, how... <laughs> Just to say this bluntly, how did you get away with that one? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, when I was designing this, because uh, like with previous Kickstarters, I I try to have a cameo tier to get people in, and like people always love you know being killed or just showing up. And I was like, but what if they could have sex? That would be nuts. That would be really cool. Because you know, I don't know, maybe they have they have a fantasy that they've always wanted to live out. And then we could immortalize that in this, like, why not? Mm -hmm. And like, that being said, like, I don't want photographs of people doing that thing as reference. <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> we don't need that. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping, uh, and I know one of the two cameos is actually buying it for a female friend of theirs, hmm. for example. So, you know, uh, I want to kind of work with that person and like, draw a scene for them that's a fantasy that's something they want to do you know and i think that i would like to continue to do this on every uh, issue too because it'll be it's, it's a little thing that we can weave into the story and like mm -hmm. why not why not have audience members get to participate uh, i mean they're reading it and thinking about it that way anyway they're fantasizing yeah. about this so why not act like immortalize i don't know i think it's cool it might be crazy but <laughs> no no no. i mean i i like how you're talking about it in terms of consulting with them and letting them have letting them live out their fantasy through a comic book you know when you just read it you're like legally are they allowed to do that i'm not 100 sure but right again the way that you're talking about it i think it makes a lot of sense and it's a really fun kind of sweet thing to do for these people at the same time right it's not like you know, oh well we're just going to take your likeness and like throw you into a situation <laughs> that you might be really uncomfortable with yeah like. no, that's great <laughs> it, no that's great i mean listen it plays into issues of consent and you're really legging into it and thinking about it so i love that that's awesome um before i let you guys go and thank you so much for taking so much time to talk through this a uh, very interesting discussion at least i thought uh but why don't you plug your stuff again it doesn't need it but richard what should people check out what can they look forward to on the zoop since we did talk about the rewards with that one specifically well it's mostly art rewards uh beyond the book as well as some like signed other books i've done like i'm i'm a co-creator of the book second coming from ahoy comics which is almost night and day with what I'm with the witches. I mean, it's, it's a Superman analog, uh, who's best friends with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's and that book, by the way, I love writer. that book. But, it's so um, funny. Yeah, so I, I did fun. manage to draw, uh, I, I had to fight for it, but, uh, in the, in the garden of Eden scene in the first issue, uh, I draw the trees of knowledge of good and evil. And, um, the fruit is very, very much resembles genitalia. <laughs> and uh there was some pushback it turned out to be one of the most popular things about that first issue um generally speaking people want to cover what i'm doing if they don't want to just run over to zoop and back my book um instagram uh blue sky you'll see my daily posts will be censored sadly um and i'll be promoting other stuff like i mean right now i'm working on a conan book with heroic titan and a bunch of other stuff but which is is what i'm doing in october Awesome. Love it. Lori, what about you? What do you want to plug? Um, besides the Heart Eater Kickstarter, uh, which you can uh, net is how you can get there, or probably just search Heart Eater um, on Kickstarter. Uh, follow Laguna Studios. Uh, we should be Laguna Studios Comics on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitch, YouTube. Um, you can also follow me. I'm LAF Model or LAF Inger on Twitter, Twitch, I, I all the stuff, Facebook. <laughs> um, I uh, I also occasionally do cosplay and video game streaming, and of course, I've also dealt with censorship, <laughs> even if the bits are covered. So, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and upcoming, I guess, uh, we're going to be doing Unthinkables 2 and 3. For those of you who have been waiting uh, a very long time since Unthinkables number 1, uh, we had some personal issues with the artist and all kinds of stuff. Uh, that's actually going to happen. Uh, Miss Medusa number 3 is in the works. Uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's up. a lot of stuff. Awesome. Laurie, Richard, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for chatting together as well. I really appreciate it. Um, good luck with both of the projects. Again, you don't need it, but they're killing it. So I, I can't wait to see how it turns out. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. All right. There we go. Once again, the projects, just to remind you, even though they just said them, Heart Eater on Kickstarter from Laurie Foster from Laguna Studios. Check that out. And also Coven, a book of 100 Witches which is now live on Zoop from Richard Pace. You can check both of those things out and we'll see how this goes with nobody else here. We are going to kick it off with our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It's your audience questions. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question in the comments over on Twitch, Facebook, or YouTube, not Twitter, not X. Not Twitter, because they don't do that. They don't even care. Um, normally, we do what we are drinking on the podcast. I will mention I'm not drinking anything because I was uh, too worried about talking to all these people on my own. But uh, our chef, Brett Macris, a.k.a. Stray Bullet, a.k.a. Stray Bullies, created an amazing-sounding pumpkin pie old-fashioned that I can't wait to make. I'm very excited about that one. Um, but why don't we go, uh, thank you, Edward Doherty, who kicked it off with a question here. We'll bring this in. Edward says, why hasn't the comic book industry adopted a Writer's Guild-like union? I feel like better pay and conditions would benefit the consumer by potentially attracting better talent. Yes, Edward, you're 100% correct. Um, yeah, this is a huge discussion and huge ongoing issue with the comic book industry, um, you know, there's two unions that have started up. One is the Image Comics Union, which I don't think includes the writers and artists. I think it just includes the people who work at Image Comics proper. And then there's one for, I want to say, Seven Seas or something like that. Some other publisher, uh, some smaller publisher, that same sort of thing. They formed a union. But the problem... There's a bunch of problems there. One of the problems is the companies, of course, that are everybody is so panicked and scared to be perfectly frank in the comic book industry at all times about their jobs, about where their next paycheck is going to come from, that they're terrified about speaking up in any way. They're terrified if they say, hey, we should start a union. They're not going to get any jobs anymore. They're not going to get hired by anybody because, frankly, as I think we all know, comic books barely pay anything whatsoever. Uh, but it should happen. Absolutely. Uh, it's something that's constantly floated and talked about, but the other part of it, and I don't know this because I'm not part of a new union, but I know this from talking to other people in unions who've been involved. It's crazy complicated to run a union. It isn't as simple as be like, let's form a union. Now we're all together. Here we go. You need the people in the organization who are organizationally minded, the people who are going to be like, my full-time job now is to run this union and make sure we're getting fair deals and I'm keeping track of the companies and I'm dealing with requests and issues from the membership of the union. It's a big deal. So you need at least one person to be the central figure there. You need multiple people to back them up. And then you need a significant chunk of the industry, writers and artists and other people, to all have buy-in for this thing. So there's a lot of leaps and things that need to be taken care of there. I always feel like we're moving closer to it. Something that we talk about a lot on the show is the idea that comic creators now are so much smarter about their own careers and lives and the future of their careers than they were even when we started the show 16 plus years ago because they've seen what happens to other people. They've seen these comic creators die, to be blunt about it, like destitute and alone in squalor conditions, some of them. It's awful. And they don't want to end up there. They want to make sure that they have enough money saved up. They want to make sure that they share information, something that hasn't really been present in the comic book industry because the companies like to keep everybody separated. You know, it's it's always been like this mob boss mentality because it's such a small cutthroat industry. But it's getting better. 
I don't know if it's getting union better, but I always feel like we're edging closer to that as we go. So thank you for the question. Great one. This one is from Agitato Gen V Thoughts. So first of all, my Gen V thought is check out Let's Hear It for the Boys, our The Boys podcast, where we are recapping Gen V. We've done the first three episodes so far. They're all live. They're all up. But to summarize our thoughts, we like it. And by our thoughts, I mean also including Justin and Pete. I think all three of us are really enjoying the show. Just to speak for myself now, I think it's not quite at the level of The Boys, but at the same time, it's still very good. Very funny, very smartly done. The media commentary is great throughout the show, so I've been very impressed with that. The special effects are great. I really enjoy the characters, and I enjoy them more per episode. I will mention, in full disclosure, I've seen the first six episodes, and I think it really continues to pick up over the course of it. I haven't seen seven or eight yet, but I've been very impressed with the season overall. And the big thing that I'm impressed by is how it doesn't feel like a lip service spinoff to the boys. It really... It really is part of the boys' universe. It's in the boys' universe, and very firmly so. It doesn't feel like they brought in The Deep for one episode for a cameo and then he's leaving. It's The Deep is showing up all the time. There's always stuff with A-Train. We see Starlight and Homelander and the same sort of things with the boys that I love so much where, like, Huey would go into a quickie mart and then there would be a bunch of products and they would all be the seven branded products. I think that's great. Uh, and just to follow up here, Edward also says, um, I don't understand why anyone likes superheroes in the boys' universe. I can't get past that. The two reasons behind that I'll throw out. One, they don't know what the superheroes are doing behind closed doors. They have legions of people doing spin for them all the time. And I think something that is abundantly clear in Gen V, even more so than in the boys, is it's a lot about sports. So you have... Sports, uh, you have athletes who are doing terrible things all the time, but they have massive spin teams and they're so good on their teams that everybody's like, eh, we could forgive a few crimes if he scores some touchdowns, right? I don't know what that character was that I was just doing, but there you go. Uh, so I, I think that's part of it. I understand what you're saying, but we, the audience, get to see everything. The people in the world of the boys do not. You also need to remember, though, in the real world, similar to the sports thing that I was talking about, the athlete thing just before, there are a lot of awful people out there that everybody loves in our real world, celebrities all the time. Um, so there you go. I don't know. That's my take on it, at least. Uh, let's see. We got, oh, we got one from Pablo here. It says, looking forward to Loki season two. Are you Alex? Well, I've seen the first four episodes of Loki season two, four of six. So I will give you, I can give you a spoiler free review. If anybody does want to know anything, turn away. Uh, but I will say generally really enjoyed it. It is heads and tails above pretty much every other Marvel show that's come out recently. A lot of that is powered by Tom Hiddleston, and Owen Wilson, who have fantastic chemistry as Loki and Mobius. Also, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name, but Wonmi Asako, I think is her name, who plays Hunter B-15, is so good and such a powerful presence in every scene. And Kehu Kwan, who is new to this season as a character named Ouroboros, is fantastic. He is hilarious in every scene. He's a major character. He's sort of like the Q fix it bad a little bit, uh, but so much fun, brings such an energy to the whole thing. Those are the positives. I'll get to the negatives. The negatives are it's not as strong as season one. Um, they switched behind the scenes, folks. There's a different showrunner who, mind you, wrote on the first season, but was not the showrunner for the first season. And there's different directors. They got two of the guys who directed two of the episodes of Moon Knight instead of Kate Heron, who directed all episodes of the first season. Kate Heron's uh, direction on the first season was phenomenal. Like she and the rest of the team, obviously, but crafted at least one incredible standout visual scene in every episode. And I'm not just talking action scenes. I'm thinking things like Sylvie and Loki sitting on Lamentus and talking as the planet is crashing down around them, um, or the stuff with Alioth, uh, with all the Lokis and everything like that. The production design is still up to par, but there's some camera work that I, I thought was a little dicey, and it's not... It's not as standout as it was in the first season. 
big thing, though, the big problem with the season is Jonathan Majors. And there's the real world things that take you out of it because, as I think pretty much everybody knows, he is about to go into a domestic assault trial. I think that's the charge. I don't 100% remember. He's been accused of multiple other um, assaults and crimes since then by people in the press, mainly. Um, And he's been dropped by almost everybody except for Marvel, who recently, somebody from Marvel, one of the higher-ups, did an interview where they said, well, it feels a little soon to do anything. We didn't change any of the filming of Loki. It's actually the first season that we didn't do any post-production on the two things i'd say about jonathan majors without getting into spoilers one that casts a pall over the entire thing just because you know like there's this this real world feeling that takes you out of it and also the way he's playing the character this time is weird like really weird i understand the choices he made but i was talking with one of the guys at my work today and we kind of felt like Maybe he was always like this and doing his quirky stuff, and we loved it before because we didn't know about all of these allegations. Now that we do, it feels like the shine's off a little bit, and it's distracting. So that's not great. That all said, all the bad stuff aside, I still enjoyed the four episodes I watched. Looking forward to checking out the last two episodes. And I do think there's a sense where they leave off in the fourth episode that it's going to be a very different season with a very different story. Um, It's a little more serialized than episodic like the first season. So I have some theories, but we'll get to them in four weeks. So that was a lot of stuff about Loki. Uh, There you go. Hope I didn't get too spoilery. Spoilery there. Um, Let's see. We got... Another question here. If you were trapped in a Snowden cabin with Pete and Justin, but only enough food for two of you to survive until a rescue, which one of you would kill to live? I would give my food to Pete and Justin so they could survive. That's what I'd do. Um, And I think there was one more here before we wrap up. Oh, Edward, really providing a lot of questions. Thank you, Edward. How come Marvel or Image Comics have never produced standalone one of masterpiece comics like The Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen or even perennial selling series like Sandman? Um, They have. They absolutely have. Image Comics has The Walking Dead, for example, which continues to crush the trade charts, even though a new issue hasn't been published in years i don't think it's a decade yet but like a very very long time um also saga continues to do extremely well in trades and in fact image comics has a ton of trades um marvel just in terms of that i think marvel is a better one to call out but i don't know there are still like I'm blanking on things. There aren't like, isn't like a kingdom come or anything like that. I don't think secret wars necessarily fills that, but the omnibuses and the collections, the Marvel masterworks, those do sell all the time. So I think you're right. There's not necessarily, there's great series for Marvel, but there's not necessarily a dark Knight returns or Watchmen. but image definitely has them. They have a lot of them. And the other one that I'll shout out that I think is a new one, which is not image, but boom studios that I do think is going to last a long time, just based on single issue shells is uh, something is killing the children. They just released the top 50 comics of last month today. And at least as I've been monitoring it for the second month in a row, something is killing the children is one of the few non Marvel or DC comics on there. So I think that's going to be a long, long lasting one from a non DC publisher. Um, Oh, a couple of people are saying Alex Ross's Marvels. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good call out. I'll have to look at the charts. I'm curious to follow up on that. And that is it for your audience questions. Woo, 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 woo. All right, folks. Now, normally we would do trivia, but I don't know how to do that. Um, I didn't look up any dead celebrities to pay tribute to. I didn't uh, look up any nonsense facts or anything like that. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave that for Pete to handle next week. I don't want to take any of his uh, tributes or anything. And instead... Um, I'll, I'll talk briefly about stuff that I'm looking forward to that's coming out tomorrow. One thing I want to plug in particular here at the end of the show, as many of you probably know, Transformers number one is coming out from Image tomorrow by Daniel Warren Johnson. And as a nice surprise for all of you, we are going to have a deep dive bonus podcast with Daniel Warren Johnson breaking down Transformers number one 
which is going to be going up, I believe, at noon in the comic book club feed. You can check it out. There are definitely spoilers there. We broke down all the big moments with him in the issue, talked a little bit about the future. He, he was he was very vague about how things connected. But we also talked a lot about his artistic process. And in case you're worried, yes, Pete got to totally nerd out with Daniel Warren Johnson, his favorite human being alive, next to his mom, of course. Pete also loves his mom. But there you go. That is it for this week's show. A couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Cameras Johnson for coming on and talking about Tower that is out in trade this week. Definitely pick it up. Very fun, trippy video game book. Also, Lori Foster for talking about Heart Eater, which is up on Kickstarter now. Check that out. Richard Pace for talking Coven, a book of 100 witches. That's up on Zoop right now, and that is also very neat and fun. Next week, another big show here with lots of guests. Hope Larson is going to be here to talk about her new, not graphic novel, but I think novel with pictures is the way we're describing it, called Be That Way. Chris O'Hara is going to talk artificial. And Elias Shockey and Adagun Ilhan are going to be here to talk about The Greylock. So that should all be a lot of fun. Bunch of other podcasts to plug here. Scott Pilgrim versus the podcast, or Scott Pilgrim podcast. Rolling out weekly, we are recapping the volumes of the book leading up to the release of the Netflix show. Comic Book Club News, our daily news podcast, comes out every single Monday through Friday. Quick little hits, three to five minutes of comic book news. Please do check it out. Um, I'm having a fun time doing it. I hope you all are having a fun time listening to it. Sons of a Gun, our DC podcast, on a little bit of a hiatus, but it'll come back soon. Marvel Vision, we're going to have Loki recaps kicking off this week, so check that out. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and all the shows we do. Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more.